If you're a leader or an aspiring leader in the business of lifelong learning, you're in the right place. I'm Salisa Steele. And I'm Jeff Cobb. And this is the Leading Learning Podcast. So we're back with another episode of the Leading Learning Podcast. Hard to believe this is episode number three. Uh, there's something magical about the number three. I think when, once you get there, s- somehow you're you're sort of official. Um, so I think we are on our way. Um, we had a, a great uh, session the last time, episode the last time with Cheryl Ronk from MSAE. And this time, Salisa, you got to talk with Wes Trokel. Tell, tell us a little bit about that to tee it up. Well, Wes is uh, all about data. He uh, is the founder of Effective Data Management. Uh, He really is just immersed in this idea of that organizations have so much data and it can do so much for them if they just know how to take advantage of it. And that's one thing that we really dug into in the interview is, you know, associations think about their uh, AMSs, their their membership uh, data, but there's also a lot of data around learning. And so making sure that that data is available um, for helping to inform decisions about learning offerings. So we, we dig into that. We talk a little bit about Wes's own lifelong learning habits. He's just a smart, thoughtful guy. It, it was a fun interview to do. Well, I always like hearing Wes talk. Um, like you said, he is thoughtful, smart, um, always has great advice. So Without further ado, let's get into the interview. This is Salisa Steele with the Leading Learning Podcast, and today I'm talking with Wes Trokel, who will be joining us as a faculty member at the Leading Learning Symposium. Wes is the founder of the consultancy Effective Data Management. He's author of the book, Put Your Data to Work, and he's a general know-it-all, and I, I mean that in the best possible way when it comes to data management and associations. So thanks for joining me today, Wes. I'm glad to be here, Lisa. And I know I just told folks a little bit about you, but it would be great if you can tell listeners a little bit more about yourself and, and your background. Sure. Well, for, I need to add to my bio that I'm a general know-it-all. I love that. <laughs> great. Um, <laughs> Uh, I've, I've been consulting with associations for the past 16 years. I work with them on data management issues from system selection and implementation to ongoing data management. And prior to that, I worked for just about 10 years in three different trade associations in uh, marketing, membership, and customer service. And so uh, what I try to bring to my clients is uh, a broad understanding of how an association needs to function. So I consider myself less of a technology person, more of a kind of a business process consultant. Well, and I know that's how I like to think about technology too, right? Technology is sort of a, a tool. You've got to have the bigger picture there to, to know what purpose the, the technology is serving. Yeah, that's precisely right. And so, um, you know, why is data important to organizations? Well, I think um, because everything we do in associations really has some foundation in the data. And so when we talk about something as simple as managing our members uh, and our membership, obviously that relates to data. When we talk about putting on educational events or selling products or uh, exhibit sponsorships, anything that's related to money, all of that has data related to it. And then hopefully we're also gathering a lot of other data about our membership or from our membership in terms of non-financial transactions. And so I think the reason data is so important is because uh, it's really at the foundation of everything that associations do. And, and so in your experience, what are really smart and, and, and savvy organizations doing with data? What are some of the kinds of things that, that data can tell them or that they're letting data tell them and, and where, where it's leading them? 
Well, I think the smart ones, first of all, have really good processes in place. Um, you know, you've got that three-legged stool of people processing technology. So you've got the right people in place doing the right things and managing it in the right technology. And so once they've got those foundations, once they're really managing their data well, the next step in the hierarchy, so to speak, is to start analyzing that data to use it to better communicate with their members, market more effectively, and um, produce better uh, programs and services. Uh, one of my favorite examples is from a group called BoardSource where they actually collect data when members call in and ask them questions. They collect data on those calls. And so there's no, there's no money changing hands there, but they're smart enough to, to track those calls coming in. And when I say calls, that could be any kind of inquiry calls or email or a web form. But they track all that as it comes in, and then they categorize those types of inquiries. And over time, they're able to identify what the trends are. These are literally questions coming from their members. And so that tells them what their members are thinking about, what their members are concerned about. And as a result, BoardSource can change their product mix. They could uh, potentially market or communicate uh, differently or more effectively with these people that are uh, contacting them. So I think the smart associations and the, uh, those who are kind of on the cutting edge are are managing their data well and then analyzing that data and using it to, uh, to communicate, market, and uh, advance their mission more effectively. Right, and you've, you've definitely got to do both. You can't just collect it and you, you got to do something with it as well. That, yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah. So what, what is sort of the low-hanging fruit of data management? I mean, you know, if an organization hasn't really been paying much attention to, to its data, I mean, how do you uh, re recommend that they start sort of getting their, their arms around what they could know about their membership or the market in general? Well, one of the first things I recommend uh, when my clients ask me that question is, is to essentially kind of take an inventory, if you will, of, of how data enters the organization. I have this simple exercise that I do with my clients for identifying data channels is what I call it. And it's just a, a three-column spreadsheet that identifies where the data comes in, meaning, you know, is it membership or exhibits or sponsorships? What, what causes the data to be created? That's the data channel. Um, where that data is managed, and then who manages it. And just those three columns, if you do that across the organization, it's amazing what you can learn about the organization in terms of how data is being managed, where it's being managed, and frankly, what data is being managed. Because a lot of associations, um, I think, kind of struggle with realizing the breadth of the data that is actually being collected within the organization. Well, yeah, and it, you know, with your board source example, uh, and, and it also reminds me of something I, I've seen you write about before about sort of that the, the rule of one hundred to to one thousand. Like, I think there's also this idea that oh, well, data that means you know necessarily our association management system, our learning management system, but but there's also just the fact that you have all these touch points with members or would be members or would be customers, which which may not be driven by a technology system, right? I mean, it could just be the, the conversations and are you capturing those in any sort of systematic way? Yeah, I think that's a great point. And, you know, the, the rule of 100 and 1,000 um, is about data conversion, but I think it, it applies here in terms of just managing data, and that is the idea that you could have a very small set of data that actually is critically important to your mission. I mean, I literally have had clients who had less than 100 members, you know, in their membership organization and so, obviously, all those members are extremely important because that's the, the heart of the association. So, uh, you know, a data set doesn't have to be large to be important. And like you said, there may be a lot of data sets or a lot of data floating around the organization um, based on these, uh, I'll call them kind of ad hoc or random interactions with members that um, can be very critically important to the overall uh, review of the data. Yeah. 
Absolutely. And so, you know, what, what have you seen as being the implication or the potential implication of some of the, the data, you know, whether formal or more ad hoc, like we're talking about, to, to the learning function of, of these associations and these organizations? Are you seeing folks take that data and make good use of it around kind of uh, either what they're offering or how they're offering uh, learning to their, their, their members and, and their constituents? That's a great question. Um, I think probably the, the at the most basic level, what I'm seeing is uh, associations using that to you know improve their their marketing effectiveness. And so, as that relates to education, would be if they're offering educational programs, using that data to more effectively communicate what their programs are and um, and why they're valuable to the to the recipient. Mm-hmm. I mean, ultimately, with with marketing and really with any form of communication. Um, the recipient has to value that information. And so knowing what the recipient values, or at least trying to infer that from the data, is really important. And so from, from the educational perspective, you, you, marketing should be uh, improved based on the data we have. But I think you raise another point, at least implicitly, that organizations can, I think, use that data to actually develop new programs. So educational programs would certainly fit in that category, uh, develop new programs based on the data. Um, one of my favorite examples, again, from the board source, uh, actual data is that they collect several, I think it's two or three dozen different kind of um, categories, so to speak, of these, of these interactions. And not surprisingly, the, the number one question asked revolves around fundraising, mm. the board, and perhaps somewhat surprisingly, though not if you think about it, is that the bottom of that list is board ethics. <laughs> <laughs> And so, uh, so you know, if, if I'm board source, I look at that and I say, you know, I actually probably need to increase uh, either the offerings on fundraising or increase how we talk about fundraising if we've already got a lot of uh, offers out there. And then with board ethics, um, because it fits their mission, they probably, you know, are ignoring the data there and they're going to push forward with continuing to educate their, their uh, members on ethics. But clearly it's less of an interest to their members than others. Right, right. Well, and, and I think, so you've, you know, mentioned two ways that I, that, right, I think data can really uh, help organizations think about their learning. And then I think there's a, at least a third way that, that I, I feel like we haven't seen enough associations sort of really embrace yet, which is just around the effectiveness then of their, um, of their learning. So, you know, what is the data telling you about how, um, you know, how, how what's being learned is being applied or is it being applied and how, how effectively, um, and that may mean that there need to be new data sources or new, you know, data sets that have to be collected to really um, be able to show that. But I think that that's something that more um, learners and the, then the people who employ those learners, you know, are, are going to want to be able to see that, that effectiveness there. Yeah, I think that's a great point. And it reminds me that I've had a handful of clients, not many, but a handful, um, who when we talk about how we manage the data and the technology that we're using, they would say, you know, part of what we want to do when it comes to our educational programs is to automatically follow up with attendees, um, say, three months and six months out to ask them, what have you applied based on this event you attended? Mm-hmm. And from a technology perspective, the issue, of course, was, you know, I don't want to have to remember to do this. I don't want to have to go back and pull the list and email out to them and collect all the data. What I'd like is the technology to, to support that for me automatically so that once an event is done, Three months from there, from that point, the system automatically grabs that whole list of attendees and emails them and says, "What did you learn? Let us know." Which I, it's a great idea, and certainly from a technology perspective, not terribly difficult to do. Um, but I think you know, Salisi, you're raising a good point, which is we've got to, we should be doing a better job of understanding whether or not the uh, the education we're providing is actually effective. 
Yeah. And you're, you know, like you said, the, that example isn't right, terribly involved or terribly um, uh, difficult technologically, but, but right, it just isn't even happening. That isn't even happening as much as maybe it should be arguably. Right. But, um, so, you know, I, I know you don't specialize in education in particular, but, but, you know, as we've been talking about, you're out there and very active in associations and you sort of understand the, the space in general. So is there anything happening in, in learning and education in that space right now that, that's exciting to you or that you're noticing as a change, um, positive or negative? Well, I, one thing I've written about, because I've noticed this over the last year or so, is that almost every one of my clients, regardless of their size, is looking at different ways of um, educating their members beyond the, the uh, traditional face-to-face. And so, of course, that means, you know, webinars and podcasts and things like that. And um, so that, you know, <laughs> from a technology perspective, of course, that's very interesting because I think we've got better delivery to- tools than we've ever had. Mm-hmm. And, um, of course, you know, there's, there's all kinds of um, online education, you know, MOOCs and the, and, the, and the rest going on outside of the association market that is pretty fascinating. And so I, what I think is interesting is that, again, regardless of the size of the association, all associations are starting to recognize that they've got to be able to deliver content kind of in a multitude of ways because of face-to-face only, you know, it's just, frankly, it's prohibitively expensive for a lot of people. And so they need to find that information another way. And of course, for an association, from the perspective of uh, someone who is not going to pay money to come attend, what they're going to do is, is Google. They're going to start looking uh-huh. for the information online. So why not have that information available from your association? Right. Yeah. No. I I think uh, I'm definitely seeing similar things where sort of everybody is is realizing how central the education piece is to associations, and right that is leading them sort of beyond face to face, just because of the prohibitive cost because it limits your audience, um, you know, all of, all of those things. Yeah, and I think, Salisa, to me the neatest thing is that um, I marvel, frankly, at how much uh, my small staff clients can actually do uh-huh. given the technology. You know, I'm talking like two and three staff organizations who are producing one webinar a month plus, uh, you know, in-person events and everything else. So the, um, the amount of work, or the, they're just kind of the sheer output from some of these organizations is, is fascinating for me to watch because back when I was working in associations, which of course really was pre-internet, um, you know, everything had to be done in person or printed and all of that just takes time. And yeah. now, now you can come up with a topic and deliver an event, you know, if you want to promote it, you got to give yourself a little time, but pr- produce an event within a week. It's, yeah. it's, it's fascinating to me. Yeah, absolutely. You're right. I mean, the tools have, have made it so easy, um, which means it makes it easier for associations. Also, one of the things we talk about is the fact that because of that, it also means uh, associations are facing more competitors, right? Because yes. anybody can do, can, can do it, like you're saying, you know, within like a couple of days. Well, great. Um, so, Wes, talk a little bit about um, how you approach your own personal lifelong learning. How do you keep learning and, and growing your knowledge and skills? Well, I, I guess in a sense, I've always been kind of an information junkie, um, you know, and, and <laughs> the best and worst thing that ever happened to me was the advent of the internet. Because <laughs> now that information is accessible 24 seven, but really I, I can recall going, you know, going all the way back to my first jobs and associations, um, subscribing to newsletters that were designed to educate me. And one in particular sticks out, the organization still around, it's LERN, 
which at the, at the time I think was the Learning Education Resource Network. I think it was run by one guy at the time. Yeah. But it was, it was all about, you know, uh, kind of lifelong learning and adult education. And I have a, actually I have a degree in education. That's my undergraduate degree. And um, so kind of teaching and learning have always been a, of great interest to me. And so personally for me, it's, it's just kind of consuming as much information as I can, uh, reading, you know, sources online, uh, stuff I subscribe to. And I think critically important is um, tapping my colleagues. So other consultants like you, uh, other association executives, and even uh, people outside the industry, just to kind of keep up with uh, what the current thinking is out there. Yeah. Yeah. So the social learning aspect there. Yeah, yeah absolutely. <laughs> and I didn't realize your, your undergrad was in education. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And so we have you coming to the Leading Learning Symposium, and, and you'll be there on faculty. So just tell folks a little bit about your style of, of teaching and facilitation. You know, what can folks um, attending the symposium sort of expect of you when, when you're uh, in the classroom? Well, I like to um, – I, I learned something about myself uh, a couple of years ago after some, you know, online test that I took. But it, it was very um, – um, enlightening to me, and that is that I, I'm what is considered a context learner. Mm. And so the idea is that I, anything I'm learning about, I've got to have that in some context. I, I, don't, I guess I don't do well with abstract thinking. <laughs> um, and so that, that's definitely my teaching style as well, is I try to, anything I'm talking about in terms of, uh, you know, the, the points I'm trying to communicate, I try to give some context around that. So, you know, it's stories about associations who applied this, or at least uh, theoretically how one could apply the learning that is uh, being covered. And so, so I guess I'd call that kind of context teaching. And then uh, also, I, I like to be uh, as interactive as possible. And in fact, uh, so that means, you know, talking with the attendees and taking questions and having discussions there in the session. And I would say, you know, that, that is, for me, has been the biggest challenge doing um, webinars mm -hmm. where, you don't, where you don't have that kind of instant response from the audience necessarily. Um, I've, you know, I, I like to have that visual feedback as well as the, the auditory feedback. Right. Yeah, no, I, I know a lot of facilitators who feel that way about sort of the, the webinar venue can be uh, different, especially like you're saying, if in the, the classroom you really like to have that sort of natural give and take. Exactly. Yeah. Well, so to wrap up, you know, where are the best places for people to find you out on, on the web or, or on social media? Uh, my website is effectivedatabase.com. And then you can also do slash blog, and that takes you to my blog. Um, and there's a, I've got a, literally about 100 articles and thousands of blog posts, so there's a lot of free information on my website. And I'm also at Wes Trogel on Twitter. Well, great. Well, thank you very much, Wes, for, for joining me today. It was my pleasure. So that concludes our interview with Wes Trokel, who, uh, as always, has very smart and, of course, very effective things to say about using data. Uh, I always enjoy listening to him. To, to get the show notes for this episode, just go to leadinglearning.com slash episode three. And I do encourage you to, to visit the show notes. We always include a lot of extra value there. The um, links that are mentioned uh, in, in any of these podcasts, you'll find there um, and additional information that uh, can help you get the most out of the podcast. If you are, in fact, getting value out of the Leading Learning Podcast, we would be truly grateful if you would subscribe. All you have to do is just go to uh, leadinglearning.com slash episode one, and you'll see the subscription options there. We'd also be uh, very grateful if you'd consider 
just taking a minute or two to do a, a brief ratings and, and, and review on iTunes. Um, Apple is always watching and uh, they, they like to know that people are listening. It helps other people who might benefit from the podcast find the podcast. So to do that, all you got to do is go to leadinglearning.com slash iTunes. Um, you might sense a trend here. We try to make this as easy as possible for you. Um, and then um, we, we, they should share it as well, right? That's right. We would love for you to tell others about the podcast and you can do that um, by going to leadinglearning.com slash share. That'll auto-populate a tweet for you. Um, if tweeting isn't your thing, that's fine. You can pick another social network. We would just appreciate uh, any help getting the word out, even if that means just actually telling someone in person about it. In person. Shocking. Well, thanks again. And we look forward to, well, not exactly seeing you, but knowing you're out there the next time on the Leading Learning Podcast. Yeah.